Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Beauty and the Beast uh, PT and Strength Conditioning Podcast. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Ross Childs. Oh, happy, uh, God, what was it, Wednesday, Thursday? Happy Wednesday, actually. Um, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, it's a nice early day for, for Adam and I. Got the week off from teaching, so uh, Adam, I appreciate you adjusting your, uh, your schedule to, to do this early. Well, I did have a lot of very important meetings I had to push aside, a lot of big big money deals to push around. But, I, fi- uh, I figured that would be the case, um, but I figured now this frees up the rest of your day to, yeah. uh, to go do those deals. <laughs> uh, what's new in the life of, of Adam? Not a whole lot. Still kind of getting the uh, online training stuff. Uh, I, I guess I'm a little bit past the point of, you know, in quotes, off the ground, but uh, just kind of taking next steps and just kind of settling in a little bit. Yeah, and how's that going so far? Good, so far so good. About as anticipated or slower? Faster? I would say I would say actually a little bit faster than anticipated, but uh, you know, kind of going through running a, a couple things real, you know, first that kind of filled up my schedule a little bit more than I expected, but not a bad thing for sure. So no, that's, so that's good. Hey, that was your goal, so so good for you to be able to to start that and. You know, again, it's it's all the other stuff. What I've learned about being a, a business owner, it's all the other things behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it never ends, right? You know, especially in the beginning, you have all these ideas, or at least I know for me, you have all these ideas, and you're trying to do everything all at once. Yeah. And then it's you finally get pissed off, and it's like, let me focus <laughs> on this one thing first, yeah. then I'll move on to the next one. So, uh, good for you for being able to uh, jump on into that. So. Um, for anyone, just an announcement for anyone who knew before that I had a Wellevate account, it's fully switched over to, to full script. So I finally have transferred over all of the, the member profiles. Um, so at the end of today, I'll have the full script link up instead of Wellevate. And then I'll also have um, all of it up for anyone who's in the Facebook group, um, Ask Ross Anything or the business page. I'll also have that listed up as well. Uh, other than that, kind of just riding the wave into into fall yeah I mean, really nothing you know just it's kind of depressing with you know it's 745 it's it's dark now and eight o'clock it's I'm ready to go to bed and I'm ready for it though I'm not gonna lie the the weather more so than the light I'd say the weather absolutely yeah. the uh, I love daylight because I love being able at the end of the day to still go do stuff yeah. but it's definitely you know G- January into early February I absolutely despise yeah. it's just cold and we have like nine hours of daylight and I'm here for eight hours and 45 minutes of that daylight. Right. Um, so that's the hard part, but I do enjoy apple picking. I enjoy going to the fairs uh, and football. So that's at least if I'm going to have to transition away from summer, at least there's there's things to look forward to. But uh, So today we wanted to kind of go back to the, the different body parts that we were talking about. And I know we talked about kind of ankle stuff a little bit. As we were going through, more so Achilles tendonitis, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the the foot and ankle today. Uh, we've had some specific questions about it, um, and and really we want to save some time at the end for for foot cramping, and we'll, we'll throw calf cramping into that as well because oftentimes people are just under the assumption that it's just uh, an electrolyte problem. So we'll talk about when it is and when it is not, and then we also want to talk about different types of footwear. Uh, Adam and I were just talking before we hit record, and, and it just seems that there seems to be two ends of the spectrum when it comes to footwear, and that's more of the zero drop or the minimalist camp or the stabilization camp. And they're 
there are many reasons to, to pick a side, um, but then there are many reasons to be somewhere in between, and we want to try to fill in that that middle gap. So uh, hopefully you can learn a thing or two from us today. Now, Adam, as far as the foot and ankles concerned, say someone walks in off the street, hey, I want to join up with you. You know, we've talked about what you look for as far as an assessment concern, but if you can really kind of dial it down and just say, for the foot and ankle, these are the tests I look at and this is what I'm looking for. Just try, you know, and don't rack your brain. Just real simple. What what do you look for and why is it important? So the first thing I'm really looking for is just basic ankle mobility. You know, uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, putting people through like a, a squat test, a goblet squat test or something like that, putting their heels up on a board to see if, their ankle uh, or whether or not their squat improves based on their ankle mobility, mm. stuff like that. I, I, that's mostly what I'm looking at first and foremost. You know, assuming that we, we're not running into a situation where we have somebody that has some sort of, you know, I don't know if pathology is the right word, but, you know, somebody who maybe, you know, broke broke their ankle in the past and has pins in there so sure. we know that they don't have good range of motion or... Um, you know, down the road, I'd say that I tend to dive into it a little bit more if I get down the road and somebody's squat is is off, whether they're, you know, whether their knee is dropping in on the on the concentric portion of the squat, um, you know, on the way back up, or, you know, it, whether it just looks off, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'd say that more often than not, I'm, I'm noticing or making a lot more adjustments on the fly more so than in the assessment if that makes sense yeah um but that's my main focus is just what's the ankle range of motion yeah and and i'd say and i like how you pointed that out kind of changing it on the fly because really when when we're doing a screen you know it's just a gross motor pattern is there anything obvious that we need to be aware of so you know the screen is not the time to sit there and try to figure out what's going on it's okay there this doesn't look right let me try to figure it out later let me let me finish what i need now, you use the term ankle mobility, and we've thrown around the terms flexibility, mobility, you know, and now our, our 33rd episode. When you think of mobility, what do you think of? You know, because that's uh, oftentimes range of motion and mobility can be confused. So when, when you mean mobility, what are you actually trying to look for? If they're the the angle that they're able to maintain control through their ankle joint, essentially. So, like, if you were to take somebody and have them go through a squat where their knee goes, you know, basically forward between their big toe and their pinky toe, kind of straight ahead to start. Usually, that's mm-hmm. a tough position for a lot of people to to actually get full range of motion like straight ahead. But um, are they able to drive the knee forward without having to make some other sort of adjustment? Their heel coming off the ground, sure. their, you know, them, you know, dropping the foot in, out, whatever. Having to find some way, what's the true mobility of the ankle joint, the true movement of the ankle joint without something else having to adjust for it? Sure. So I, I look at mobility in, in two ways. So there's the actual range of motion that they have, mm-hmm. but then it's that freedom of freedom throughout that motion so and then stability is the control through that motion so oftentimes you know when people throw around the words mobility and and stability you know i I make sure i kind of slow them down and say okay mobility is the the freedom of range 
and then mobility is the control through those range where a lot of people are still caught up in kind of flexibility mm-hmm. when they talk about mobility and then when they talk about stability unfortunately they think about um, more like an isometric stabilization right. or they're referring to strength and it's like nope those are completely different things so it's really how do you control yourself against against gravity now as far as the the ankle is concerned and let's say someone comes in you put them through a squat assessment they're limited let's say on their right ankle and you're saying you know uh, it looks like they're lacking mobility are there little things that you can do to try to tease out where that loss of mobility may be coming from yeah i mean you can do stuff i mean the first thing that i'll usually do for in the middle let me put it this way for in the middle of a class and i can't really just stop somebody and have them go foam roll for a couple minutes just to see if it's their calves yeah because that's that's where I would like to go first. Usually what I'm doing is I'm, I'm having them slightly turn the toes out to adjust for that, um, for that lack of, that possible lack of ankle range of motion to see if it gets better. Or yep. I'm elevating their heels on a plate or on a, on a, uh, like a two by four, which we've, we've, I talked about a little bit a couple minutes ago, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I was glad you, you said the elevating on the board. I was hoping that's what you were gonna say. Now, let's say someone, you elevate their, their heels, all of a sudden their squat improves. What does that tell you? It tells me that it's the ankle range of, it's their ankle range of motion or mobile, aka mobility that's probably the problem. Whether or not, whether or not it's their body limiting, and this is where we start getting into the weeds a little bit, where you know you talked about stability versus mobility. Whether or not it's that their body can't control that range of motion. Like if you sat them down, had them straighten their leg out and mess with their foot, do they have the ankle range of motion? Maybe. But maybe they can't control it with that knee driving forward. There's all kinds of different stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. And when I look for the heel being up, I usually just assume it's more of a, a muscle flexibility problem yeah. because the gastroc's being put on slack. If I'm truly suspecting that it's a lack of control, uh, usually what I'll do is I'll just have them use the TRX straps. Mm-hmm lean back, take the effects of gravity off of their spine, and then if they can do a full squat, well, it's probably not a mobility problem, it's probably a stabilization problem, or I'll just have them hold on to the squat rack and then just try to go as low as you can. So, you know, very, very easy things like that. And again, you know, these are these are merely just screens. And we talk about screens versus assessments. Screens are, could there be a problem mm-hmm. versus an assessment that is really looking for what exactly the problem may be. So, you know, again, for, for the most part, we're talking about screen say, and these are simple things that you guys could also do to, to help screen yourself. Now, when someone comes into PT, generally they, they have an issue with either the ankle, the, the knee, the hip, you know, and I, I tend to look at, at everything. And same thing for you, I look for mobility right away. You know, really I'm looking for, do they have a good ankle crease when they squat down? Am I noticing if they're turning out? versus maybe a potential turning in. Some people do that depending on the uh, orientation of their shin bone. Um, What's their knee doing versus their ankle? Can I change the knee position to change the ankle? Um, So it's really a a kinetic chain effect. You know, how is one joint affecting the others? You know, especially with with knee pain, I typically find knee pain is is more the victim. So Mm -hmm. then what's going on at the hip and the ankle? And if we improve potentially dorsiflexion, uh, what do you know? The knee pain starts to go away. So I, that's typically what I look for, you know, and, and for me, because we're allowed to actually put our hands on people and assess the joint, 
you know, how's the foot bone moving inside the, the shin bone. Um, and, and that's another step of mobility that we tend to look for weight bearing versus non-weight bearing. Um, so it, it's, it's really just taking it, you know, one step further and, and really what's going on at the localized joint region. Now, the limitation with that is someone may have limitations with an isolated joint motion, but the overall movement pattern is still fine because there's some type of compensation that we can't see or, or vice versa. You know, movement may be thrown off and then the joints are all fine, so then it's the sequencing of the movement. Um, I, I, we're going too far in the weeds now, but that, that's typically what I have to think about. And it sounds like that's something you'd look for mm -hmm. as well. So, you know, it really doesn't differ from there. Now, what are some common things that you'll see, you know, cause it, it's ankle sprains are very common. You'll hear people say, I've sprained my ankle a thousand times. Well, okay. What are some common compensation patterns that you'll see um, with someone who's had recurring ankle sprains? Usually their ankles are very tight, mm -hmm. or they're the you know or how do I want to put that? Their their foot doesn't move super well. Whether it's a whether it's a um, you know a lack of strength, it's their body locking down that joint. Uh, you know because uh, what was I gonna say? Um, you know whether they always wear a uh, an ankle brace now when they play because they've rolled their ankle so many times yeah. or. Um, or, you know, they're always wearing high top shoes because they don't want to roll their ankle or, you know, any other sort of reason or, you know, it could be something more severe. They had some very serious trauma and now the, you know, whether it be from scar tissue or if they, you know, got to the point where they had to have pins put in or something like that, they just don't have the range of motion anymore. Okay, good. And that's, I would absolutely agree with that. Now, let's say someone comes in, I've had multiple ankle sprains over mm -hmm. the years. Uh, let's assume they have a tight ankle joint. You ask them to squat. What type of a squatting position, foot-wise, what type of, I won't say anymore because this will give it away, what's a very common way that you'll notice that they have to squat? They usually, so, if somebody tries to squat without knowing any sort of background on how to squat or how to make the adjustments, most people keep their toe will keep their toes relatively straight ahead and they end up either when they come down their knees drop in or when they get to a certain point their heels lift off the ground. It's usually more the knees dropping in because they probably don't quite have the stability to pick their heels up and continue that squat. Yeah. Um but more often than not, it's the knees dropping in mm -hmm. in order to make up for that lack of motion in the ankle. Sure. And then there's always the, they get to a certain point, they can't move the ankle anymore. Knee doesn't want to move, hip doesn't want to move. So then they end up just leaning from their spine. Yeah, yeah, their whole trunk leans forward. So I, I always think it's awesome when, when people will come in, you know, okay, go ahead and show me a squat. Next thing you know, their chest is facing the ground. Yeah. It's like, mm. Is that how you get on and off the toilet? Because it's highly unlikely you do. If you do, you're probably face planting. There's a, there's a problem there. Um, I, now, if you ask someone to squat, and, and this is just my opinion, but I wanna, I wanna see what, what your response is before I give it. Do you try to cue someone on a squat or would you rather watch to see how they naturally do it first? It depends. 
if it's somebody that I know is coming from some sort of a training background or some sort of like who isn't just coming off the couch, hasn't done anything active in 15 years, or just isn't a you know in quotes gym person for lack of a better way to put it, somebody who you know doesn't really prioritize like exercise or sure. something like that. If it's somebody that I think might be coming with a little bit of a knowledge base, I'm usually more liable to see what they do naturally. Whereas somebody who isn't, I mean, let's put it this way. Am I putting them into the exact position that I think is going to give them a perfect squat? Probably not, but I'm giving them little cues, you know, feet about shoulder width apart. I'm, I usually am telling people off the bat to point their toes slightly out. Um, it, again, if it's somebody like that, because they probably have some sort of mobility restrictions mm-hmm. in there and it's just, just to see how it is, um, more often than not, I feel like if somebody has the mobility to squat with their toes, squat well with their toes pointed straight ahead, they tend to naturally do it. Yeah. Um, and when that happens, I'm really not, I'm really not changing much. Yeah, I I feel like everyone at this point knows what a squat is, even mm-hmm. if they've never done it recreationally. Um, so I usually will watch how they do it first. Yeah. Because if they say when I squat my knee hurts, well I want to figure out is it the way you're squatting. Or is it squatting in general? Yes. So I usually find that people take a very, very narrow stance if they're not used to squatting. And then usually the heels will come off the ground too. A lot of people will, will do the catcher squat mm-hmm. and, and they just think that's because they try to go as low as they can. And that's not the ultimate goal when we're first asking them that. And then if I see there's something that is obvious, you know, keep the heels down, widen your stance, then I'll say, all right, how'd that feel? Okay, let's try it again, but widen your stance a little bit. Turn your feet out. All right, how'd that feel? And then from there, if they say, oh, it feels the same, meaning it still is producing pain, then, all right, there's a bigger problem going on. Or, oh, that didn't hurt that time. All right, maybe it's just a technique flaw, and we just give them you know, some cues to work on. They're, they're usually good to go. Now, I'm, I'm huge on the fact that, let's say someone comes in with an acute ankle problem, I'm not in the camp to say, stay off of it. Nope. You know, maybe if it's a, it's a, an acute ankle sprain, you know, it happened yesterday, fine. Take today off, you know, even 48 hours. But after that, it's all right. You got to get up and you get, you got to load it. You you know, our natural pumping mechanism, our our muscle contractions, and if we're sitting on our ass, nothing's moving. So let's say someone walks into the gym um, they've already been here for their assessment. They've been working out, you know, the, the workout's coming up, and you can pick three or four exercises that you, you were going to use. And they say, hey, I sprained my ankle five days ago, still kind of hurts, but I want to be here. You know, one, would you recommend that they leave, or would you recommend that they stay and you modify it for them? Oh, absolutely recommending they stay and we modify Okay. 100%. Now, what are the things that you would avoid? So if someone walks in five days out from an ankle sprain, what are things right off the bat that you would say, okay, well, based off of this, we are definitely not going to do X, Y, and Z? So 100%, the first thing I'm, I'm taking... I'm taking off the list or at least severely limiting, assuming that it's not somebody that's just like in fantastic shape and can do a little bit of something, is any sort of lateral plyometric exercise. Good. Even with an ankle sprain, sometimes if you're, you know, if you're in decent enough shape and you've been moving on it, you can do like little squat jumps and stuff like this, obviously assuming that it doesn't create an immense amount of pain. Yeah. But you you could do like a 
like a light squat jump. I mean, I'm talking, you know, if you came off the floor an inch or two. Sure. Um, you could do something like that. But I would be concerned about like a you know a skater jump, a hide and jump, whatever you want to call that motion where you're jumping from one side to the other, mm-hmm. and basically you have to stabilize on one ankle whenever you're going one direction or the other. Um, the lateral stuff for sure. Uh, anything that involves like a rotational motion, mm-hmm. you know, like if you, some sort you know uh, med ball throws or, or the best example that's coming off, you know, like a a sideways med ball throw where you have to pivot on an ankle or you know if you were doing like what do they even call them now it's not not suicides not monsters not you know like you stop touch the line turn go back something where you're Uh, i still call them suicides yeah that's what yeah um gassers whatever um you something where you're stopping your entire body and then have to turn and recoil and go the other way again it's that same but it's that same pivoting motion like with the med ball stuff like that i'm i'm staying away from unless they you know show me that they could do it at like a slower speed or something like that but if it's somebody that's really really worried about it i'm keeping it very bilateral both feet as much as I can versus like a split squat or something or if I'm doing a split squat or something like that I'm giving them some sort of alter alternative uh, like more balance whether it's like a TRX split squat they're holding on to yeah. the TRX so they can stabilize a little bit better they're not gonna lose their balance and re-injure the tissue if they try to catch themselves yeah. or whatever no and I'd say that's appropriate you know really with as long as the foot is flat mm-hmm the foot is, is pretty safe, you know, and even, and again, we're talking just purely an ankle sprain at this point. Um, but again, I like how you talked about kind of the stability of it. Cause again, even though the foot is fixed to the ground, we always have to think there's a body on top of the foot. Now you lose stabilization. Well, all of a sudden you're going to twist, bend, turn, whatever it may be. And that's going to be a problem for the injured tissue or, or anything along those lines. Now, those recommendations that you just gave, I would say that even applies to someone that has a more acute uh, Achilles tendonitis, Mm -hmm. someone that has a more acute plantar fasciitis. Um, You know, we'd also have to start getting into the realm of, you know, okay, someone has a bunion, for example, that's flared up. Mm -hmm. You know, bunions are are very, very problematic. You know, some people have them with no pain. Some people have them and, you know, there's just no great toe extension. That also means there's no push off. Um, and just creates a lot of problems, you know, the more ballistic in nature an exercise is, it's going to flare it up, especially when you have to push off. If you're not allowed to roll through the joint, it's going to cause problems. So that's why it's always important. I, I always assess big toe mobility. It sounds weird, but if we lose it, unfortunately, that's going to shift the stress somewhere else in the foot, you know, and, and that could lead to plantar fasciitis. That could lead to um, you know, even more pain at kind of the what we call the the metatarsal break, kind of the the midfoot where there should be some rotation, um, and that changes depending on foot type, which we'll talk about in uh, in just a minute too. Now, from your standpoint in strength and conditioning, what are some some ankle problems that really really can well, I wouldn't even say a problem, and, and we talked about ankle. Ankle sprains is probably being the worst one. Can you think of another ankle condition that it's like, all right, we're going to have to modify a lot at this point? And, and was, we'll say it's non-surgical because surgical, we'd have to modify everything. So outside of like 
tendonitis, like Achilles tendonitis or something along those lines, yeah. or you just mean, uh, I don't know, give me a little bit of a hint here where you're going, where you're yeah, I really have no, no hint. I'm just no. trying to think of others. I'm thinking like a, a, a posterior tibialis tendonitis okay, oftentimes yeah, yeah. can be problematic, but you, you would typically see that either in high arches or low arches. Right. It doesn't matter at that point. Um, no, I'm just kind of spitballing right now. I have nothing I mean, in mind. Maybe like plant, uh, plantar sort of, it, I guess. It depends on the I severity mean, right, of it. Right, exactly. I don't know if that's... that's. I mean, yes, it crosses the ankle joint, but it, it's not... I don't know. Would you call plantar an ankle condition? Yeah, foot and ankle. Yeah, okay. Yeah, foot yeah. and ankle. Um, I, I'd say if it's severe and irritable, that's definitely something that you have to be mindful of. Yeah. But if it's more of a, a chronic fasciosis... People actually do very well with activity. Usually mm-hmm. the first five minutes they feel it and then they feel fine. And then the problem is the, the more they're able to push themselves, usually at the end of the day it creates that problem. That's not the problem at the end of the day. It's when they then go to sleep. Their foot moves into a shortened position, which is generally plantar flexion. And then the tissue literally shortens over itself to try to protect itself and heal. And then you stand up first thing in the morning and you rip it all over again. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Um, the problem is, you know, we feel that that ripping sensation. We feel the pain, and people just get super freaked out and, oh my God, this sucks. I'm going to die. No, you're not. This is and part then, of the healing process. That's when we put them in a boot, right? Exactly. Keep them there for ages, and then next thing you know, we we want to make sure we're damaging their back and their ankle because we all know <laughs> how much I love the boot. Um, <laughs> How so? We've mentioned foot types a little bit, and then for the sake of this conversation, we'll we'll keep it very simple with an supinator and pronator. Even though those aren't necessarily good terms, because everyone needs supination and pronation to have normal ankle and foot function. What do you look for, or do you even put any type of emphasis on foot type when it comes to training? Not unless it becomes an issue. What do you, usually. Can, can you elaborate? So, it, usually the only times I've run into it are people that, you know, either have a very, very unpronounced arch or, you know, like flat foot, closer to flat footed. And more often than not, it's people that are flat footed and have long limbs. It's more often females I've noticed it in, personally. You know, you do a trap bar deadlift and you just can't keep them from valgusing in. Even though, you know, you... Use a use a band around the knees to re. I mean, granted, I don't do that as much on a deadlift, but regardless, to really reinforce, like push the knees out. Mm-hmm. Okay, they still drop in, even though they're forcing out. What's happening? You know, I think I've ran into that more often than. And when that happens, you know, it's elevating the weight a little bit or, or something along those lines. <sighs> Unless somebody's running into some sort of continuous issue i'm not putting a a ton of emphasis into it um but again i'm also not a running coach i'm not a primarily a a sprinter movement coach you know what i mean i I have a feeling if i was more into that realm i might yeah and and i'd say my i'm i'm not a runner i don't claim to be a runner Uh, i'll never be a runner i go out and i run at times because it's part of the workout but you know, maybe that's a mile at a time, and there's usually a barbell waiting at either right. end. So that's that's what gets me through. Um, now, I look at running in terms of, of movement, mm-hmm. as far as what needs to occur at all these joints. So 
whatever I know as far as running is concerned. From a running performance standpoint, that's not where my specialty is, but the movement of running, the motion in running, I, I think we all can, can do that pretty, pretty readily, just knowing what each joint needs to do. Now, what I'll say as far as running is concerned, um, if someone is has a low arch or a flat foot, whatever it may be, um, generally they're gonna be more of a heel striker and they just stay smushing the arch the whole time and that causes a lot more of that knee valgus. Um, there are instances where there's hip weakness will cause the knee to cave in with a forefoot striker, um, but I typically find that people with high arches or an oversupinator or what they would call pes cavus, um, they generally like to stay up on their toes and generally they're gonna be better at sprinting, kind of mid distance runs mm -hmm. to uh, short runs compared to that long distance stuff. Now the reason I feel this is important is because how it affects the kinetic chain and you already alluded to this with kind of that valgus collapse. If someone has um, flat feet and their knee is caving in, that's also causing that inward rotation of the thigh and that just ricochets all the way up through. Primarily, I'm going to see inner knee pain from that. Someone with a high arch, well, the knee is now going out more mm -hmm. so than anything. The outside of the knee is very stable compared to the inside, so it's able to bypass the stress on the lateral knee and it goes straight to the hip, and then we start to get those trochanteric pain syndromes, bursitis for lack of better term, glute medius tendonitis, and I'm not saying these can't happen in low arched people. Right. They can, just from repetitive stress, it happens to all of us. Um, but I just find that's kind of the difference. So supinators tend to get outside hip pain, whereas pronators get inside knee pain. And, and it just follows the stress, re repetitive stress, and you know, kind of uh, path of least resistance, that's where it's gonna follow. Now this, I feel, is where footwear can come in. So I know mm -hmm. we, we said we were going to talk, we'll save foot cramping for after. This is a nice segue into, into footwear. Um, how much emphasis do you put on footwear in terms of cushion versus neutral versus stability? So I personally am a big proponent of the neutral camp. Uh, granted, that's for the type of training I do. That's lifting, that's change of direction, that's, you know, in quotes, sprinting, whatever that looks like for whoever you're working with. Sprinting for some people is a sprint. Sprinting for other people is a sled push. Yeah. You know what I mean? So because it, it, offers, it offers a bigger, a decent pat, like pad on the bottom in terms of width. You know, it's not a skinny shoe. Yeah. Um, so you have a decent platform. But it doesn't force you necessarily into any specific positions. I don't, I'm not a big fan of running shoes for non running activities. Um, well, can you explain why? I, I think I know why, and it's probably the same reason why I don't recommend it, but I just want to see if, if we're for, on the same page. For a couple reasons. One, because it. The purpose of running shoes, for the most part, and I'm not I'm not a running expert, as we talked about, so uh, you know I'm sure there's more that goes into it. And that's, but it's to propel you forward. So you're naturally with a running shoe, the heel is slightly elevated over the toe because your goal is to be moving forward. So that's the first one. The second one is the the height and the softness of the sole itself. Um, 
I mean, some running shoes are relatively thin with a decent amount of padding. Some are, you know, hokas and stuff like that. It looks like you're. It when hokas first came out, it was it was his it was almost it laugh worthy like, like how a, thick. It looked like you were standing on a cloud. It did. I mean, granted, they're comfortable as hell, um, but it makes it harder to a stabilize. I mean, if you if you don't if you don't quite understand why. If you take go home, stand on a stand on like a, a dense pillow where you're not just gonna sink down to the floor, and see how much different your balance is standing on a pillow compared to standing on the floor with your bare foot. Mm-hmm. So not only is there a little bit of a lack of stability, which can then cause problems up the chain, but in certain lifts, like a, a dead deadlift is really the only one that immediately comes to mind is it also elevates you higher than you probably should be in order to lift from the correct bottom position so you actually end up lifting from a, I don't know if you want to put it, call it a deficit, a negative position, uh, you know, lower than you probably should be. Mm-hmm. And then you tack the lack of foot stability onto that. Um, and that's why I don't, I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm not saying there's like a massive issue with it, but in a, in a scenario where I can say, I'd prefer that somebody lift with this type of shoe, I'm definitely more on the neutral, allow the ankle joint to move camp. Yeah. Assuming, again, that you don't have some sort of a can- acute ankle trauma and you should be locking it, in quotes, locking it down. Yeah, but but I, I agree with, as far as that's concerned, you know, running shoes have a rocker bottom to propel you, yeah. you know, so it's just, that's not great for lifting where we need more of a stable bottom. And that's why you have these shoes like the Metcons, like mm-hmm. the, the, the Reebok Nanos, the, the Nobles of the world, the Innovates, you know, really it's a, it's a minimal uh, heel drop. And then it's going to have more of a stable rear foot compared to a forefoot, which still allows for running, which they also promote more forefoot running. Um, you know, and, and that's just based off of if, if you go run on grass right now, your natural instinct is to run on your toes. You know, rarely anyone hits their heels. You put a shoe on, then people want to hit their heels on the ground. So. Again, what's normal for us versus I'm not going to get into that debate, but that there is there is a difference. You know, it's very rare you'll just hit your heels when you run barefoot on the grass. It's just the way that it is. Now, can I? I'm sorry, I don't. If no, you, wanna, I, I am curious your thoughts about how often would you say that it is that people that experience issues with their arch, for lack of a better term, coming to me at the moment, is a symptom more so of the fact that they don't know how to or they don't have the strength to actually engage the muscles that create an arch versus actually having like a flat an actual um pronated so uh, this is usually the debate of a um fixed flat foot versus a flexible flat foot. A fixed flat foot is it's flat all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, weight bearing, non-weight bearing. You know, you take your foot off the ground, it's as straight as when it's on the ground. Someone who has a flexible flat foot, you take the foot off the ground, they have a normal arch, you put it on the ground, it collapses out. That is usually when the ligaments are a little too loose, the muscles can't stabilize, um, the, tran- the, the medial transverse arch, you know, those are the muscles surrounding it can't do their job. The ligaments in the area can't do their job. 
those are typically the people where I will say, let's teach you exercises first to try to restabilize, and then let's use an arch support after the fact. With someone who's a fixed flat foot, I generally find they have less overall issues because they've always been that way. Mm-hmm. But it's the people that have relatively normal arches. And then, like, people are so weird. They're like, I remember when I was 23, my arches fell. Did they Did they really just fall? You know, and they're like, when I was 23, the arches fell. Uh, was that at the time that things became so weak that you couldn't control the arches anymore? Probably. You know, and then we also have to look at uh, people that collapse when in stationary positions but can restabilize in dynamic positions. Mm. So there are plenty of people that if you look at, do a postural assessment in one position, flat as the day is long, just the foot just collapses right down, but then you watch them walk and all of a sudden they restabilize. And it's just the difference, it's more dynamic nature, the body realizes it can do it. So um, I'm not, I don't really get caught up on pronation versus supination. I think I'm more concerned with can they restabilize naturally or, yeah. or internally versus putting an external support? Um, you know, I, I think I care more about someone who's a, a rigid supinator because that is they don't have enough shock absorption and that creates other problems uh, up the chain. So, and now with a fixed flat foot, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. No, no, no. I the 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 only reason I, I thought of that is because the the other reason that I don't always like running shoes for training and stuff like that is because it doesn't really allow you to like in quotes grip with the toes it kind of it pulls your toes up off the ground and makes it harder to like actually you know dig into the floor yeah so that 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 just brought that question to mind that's all. yeah not 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 too overly concerned i'm, I'm sure if you were to ask a, a running specialist They'd probably give you a more in-depth answer, mm-hmm. but you know, just from the outside looking in, I don't put too much emphasis on it. I don't get too caught up in the nitty-gritty. Um, now, as far as when when someone comes in, and, and my biggest pet peeve when someone goes to a running store, and a lot of people go to running stores to have a running analysis done, and then they'll come back and they'll say, well, they told me I was a pronator. They gave me a stability shoe, and usually stability shoes have that little thick hard piece right underneath the arch and it prevents pronation from occurring. Mm. Which I'm not against. If someone is a true pronator, then that's fine. Now, the only problem is if there's a compensatory pronation, we may not need a stability shoe. And and I'll explain. Let's go back to that person that has a very rigid supination. Mm -hmm. High arch, like just locked in place. We already know off the bat, they're not gonna have pronation at all. If they try to run without pronation, it's going to cause a problem. So then what will the body do? Well, at that point, and you'll see this during squatting too, more often than not, you'll see people with high arches. During the act of squatting, their heels pick up a little bit and swing in, and they end up turning their feet out Mm -hmm. during motion, and they end up collapsing through the arches we should not be stabilizing that. That is the body's only way of finding pronation. So if you're taking the body's only avenue for pronation and sticking it in place, you're gonna cause another problem somewhere else. So I just, I, I, and it's nothing against these places that that offer up this information, but it's incomplete. It's not looking at the big picture. Instead of sticking a hard support under someone's arch, we should be improving the ankle range of motion first can we normalize that mobility 
and then you may not need the stabilization support at all. So that's kind of the only time I ever really have an issue with footwear. Just make sure you know what you need it for. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they may talk about the different phases with running. Again, that's far more in depth than we're, we're talking about here. And they are running specialists, so I'm, I'm not taking away what they do, but I'm also looking at it from an orthopedic slash biomechanic standpoint you know, the body needs pronation at some point. So if you're taking away that last little bit the body is craving, it's gonna give somewhere else. And then we better figure that out so it doesn't cause a long-term problem. So cushion shoes are are usually, so cushion shoes are generally made for supinators. It just allows for some shock absorption. Uh, Whereas a stability sneaker is gonna create more rigidness. It's gonna allow for uh, the body to be more stable. But again, those are those are kind of the, the ends of the spectrum. And then I also recommend neutral sneakers. And neutral generally what we'll find right off the shelf. Um, just go grab it off the shelf at a shoe store and that's probably gonna be neutral. Even more important than that, I think foot width becomes super important. Mm-hmm. I think the standard foot width is like a, a D or something like that, at least for guys. I don't know what it is for females. Yeah. So then you start getting into like double E's, triple E's, whatever it is at that point. Um, I do think foot width matters, and if someone's squatting and the outside of their foot is hanging over the footbed, mm-hmm. you need a wider shoe. Yep. That's just the way that it is. And you know, there's been a lot of research done as far as foot width is concerned, kind of the optimal foot position, whereas the widest point of your foot should be from the outside of the ball on, on the big toe to the little toe, and we don't necessarily want a narrow foot box or mm-hmm. a toe box. Um, so I, I can buy into all that, but also at the same time, when we are running around and, and cutting and doing lateral stuff, we also can't have too much motion. We need something that's snug. So right. there, there's got to be a give and take. So, you know, types of stability for a shoe and then the width of the shoe, I, I, I think, are, are important factors. Now, with the remaining time that we have left, um, I think one of the bigger areas that we tend to hear about is just cramping. And whether that's foot cramping or calf cramping, I, I think it's all one and the same. Now, there are usually two types of cramping that that will occur, and and we'll break this down to a dehydration problem versus a tightness problem. If it's purely a dehydration problem, you tend to see the issues during the day. Mm -hmm. You'll see them at night too, but generally you'll see them during the day. You know, when your body is trying to dissipate heat, you don't have enough water in your system, your electrolytes are getting thrown off, and that can be Calcium sometimes, it can be sodium, it can be potassium, it can be, uh, what's the other, magnesium. magnesium. So try any of those. It's an easy fix. If it continues, you know it's not an electrolyte problem. Right. And more often than not, I tend to find that people say, at night I tend to get cramps or when I go to bed. And my first question is, is it happening during the day? No. And a lot of people nowadays understand the importance, so they're at least hydrated. They're Mm -hmm. getting enough water to begin with. So typically I find it's a muscle tightness problem. Think about the amount of times that we put stress through our feet, into our calves, even just standing still, Mm -hmm. our calves are holding us still. There's no other muscle in the body that's really working at that time except the calves. And then if we start to lean, it's called an ankle strategy. That's eccentric loading of the calves. So it, they're working all the time. They're, they're more, and that's why we have the smaller muscle, the soleus, it's more of a tonic muscle, it's posture related versus uh, the other muscle, the gastroc, which is more of our big mover. So 
Uh, I usually just find if people do some soft tissue work, foam rolling, a little bit of stretching before bed, even two minutes worth, that will help decrease the, the cramping and that will also help with uh, feeling less tight come the morning too, because usually it's a buildup of stress over time. You know, the foot points down overnight, mm -hmm. retightens, and then you just start building up more and more stress and it's an accumulation of stress over time. Do you ever hear this from members in the gym or the clients that you have um, during your, the, the training sessions? Yeah, the most often one is doing anything where the back foot is either being... So like rear foot elevated split squats, Bulgarian split squats. That's the biggest one that... When that back foot is extended up on a box or on yeah. a, because we don't have we didn't um, have the uh, I don't know what you call them the like roller they look like foam rollers but they're padded so that your foot can actually wrap around it yeah those are nice yeah they are they're great um, but if you you know don't have something like that and you have to put your back foot on something flat when you get down to the bottom of a, a split squat like that if you don't have uh, or if you have a lot of tightness you can get cramps in the, the middle of your foot. And there are a lot of people that I've that have had that specific symptom. Yeah, and, and I, I'll usually tell people, you know, you really just gotta, it, you have to think about the amount of stress that your body accumulates on an everyday basis. Mm -hmm. You know, and let's, let's say you like to walk for 30, 40 years. Yeah. If you don't do any stretching, it's going to accumulate. I don't, I don't care who you are, and, and, and I don't really care what the research says about stretching and whether they think it's important or not you still have to stretch because that's gonna help out with some ankle mobility, it's gonna help out with range of motion, and at the end of the day, we're trying to restore motion. The biggest thing that I find is, is if someone has very muscular, tight calves, generally they have poor ankle range of motion. And then when you walk on that poor range of motion, you accumulate more and more stress, and then it just becomes a vicious cycle. You know, and that, that's runners. You know, think about how many so how many people in general, and we won't even just pick on runners, but how many people in the gym, give me a percentage, or people with personal training, it, unless they're stretching here with a group, mm -hmm. how many of them do you think are actually stretching at home? Percentage-wise? Yeah. Uh, 10. I was going to say far uh, less, that, far less than 50, and that's being generous. Yeah, I was going to say that's 10. That's just so I don't sound like a jerk. Right. And if we're talking, yeah, yeah, I'd say 10, 10 and that might be generous. Yeah, I'd say, you know, the, the average person that shows up, works out, they don't stretch here, and they are not prescribed anything at home, they're probably not doing it at home. And that's, that's the sad part. So... Yeah. Um, I'd even say the people that come here to see me, unless they, they have been here to see me before, they're not stretching. Or if they stretch, it, it's kind of half-assed and they're just doing it for like 20 seconds and uh, it's just something that needs to be in, in everyone's plan. Even if it's just two minutes before bed, yeah. a couple days a week, it doesn't have to be every day. We shouldn't have to do these things every day, but we're trying to teach everyone strategies to offset the accumulation of stress. And you can call it whatever you want. I, I personally don't care what anyone calls it. It's just a matter of kind of keeping up with, can we make the muscle loose? Can we make the body more resilient to withhandle the stress? So my recommendation to everyone right away is, if it's not happening during the day, 
stretch before bed. Mm -hmm. If it's happening during the day, pick an electrolyte, whether that's potassium, sodium, magnesium, or even sometimes calcium. Feel, feel free to, to start using those. And even if you're just taking 100 mil, extra milligrams a day, uh, magnesium, they're saying you can take about 250 milligrams a day, and, and that's where the therapeutic benefit's gonna come from. Sodium, they're now showing that it's not usually a sodium, uh, that we have too much sodium, it's that we have actually a lack of sodium. So some of us are actually getting not enough potassium as well. So again, there's multiple angles, you know, that we're certainly not using this as, as the only medical advice. So uh, the only way we'll truly know is if you get blood tests done to really look at um, your blood values. So, you know, again, you always want to remember that when we are giving any type of a, of a recommendation, but that's at least where I'll start. And hamstring cramps, same mm -hmm. thing if they happen only at night. Oftentimes, too, the, the hamstrings can occur because of low back issues. The glutes aren't firing. So we can always talk about that another time. But generally, that's my recommendation is, you know, if it's happening just at night, just in bed, stretch. And that, that tends to make it better. So, all right. Looks like we knocked off everything on our list. Do you have any parting words for, for the group? No. Nope. Uh Nope, usual stuff, so we'll have all the same information in our... I'm going to leave... Um, I think I said this last time, too. But I'm just going to leave Sarah's info uh, for the pelvic floor PT for those of you that uh, didn't listen a couple episodes back. If you're having issues with things along those lines, um, her information is in the uh, description for the podcast. I'll flip... Uh, as soon as you post that link for your... Um, what's it called? It's, it's called not, full script. Now. Full script. Full script. Once you once you post your full script uh, link, I'll swap those out as well, so that'll be updated in the the uh, in the description. Everything else is being there as normal. And other than that, uh, I don't have anything else. All right, guys. So we'll come back at you next week. As always, it's it's a pleasure. If you guys have any specific topics you want to hear about, certainly feel free to reach out because we always want to make sure that we are giving you guys the most updated information so that you can live a happy and healthy lifestyle. Until then, we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Later.